0: Welcome to Acquisitions Anonymous. After our summer break, uh, we are back and and ready to go again with a whole bunch of new technological innovations that hopefully will not let us down. And so we got to switch up for you guys today. Uh, I'm Michael Girdley, one of your co-hosts. I'm here all the time, Uh, but both Mills and Bill are gone this week. uh, And so we get to have actually two guests at the same time, one who's our premier guest and one who is our stand-in for Bill. And so I will get to introduce both of them before we jump into our deals, which are both e-commerce brands uh, that are for sale and pretty interesting. And so if you're new to the podcast, just a reminder, this is the internet's number one podcast about small businesses for sale. Each week uh, we get together, we look at listings for a couple of small businesses for sale, and then we talk about them. And that's the whole podcast. And it's going great and we love it. And we're excited to do it every week. And uh, so first want to give an opportunity for, uh, while well, the guest co-host and our, our featured guest a chance to introduce themselves. So, uh, John, John, maybe real quick, tell us about yourself and in less than a minute or so, catch everybody up. For the record, John you, how is how you got pre- here today.
1: John is that premier co-host. That, that, that's I'm a no, John's John's the stand-in.
0: John, John's the premier co-host. You're the premier guest, Kelsey. So it's perfect. <laughs> okay, right. Everybody's premiere something. Good as premier. long as I
2: got premiere in some point. We're <laughs> fine. Uh, I was going to bring that up later. Uh, so little high level on myself. Uh, I work with Bill. I run uh, acquisitions for Elements Brands and previously was doing acquisitions investments for a large digital marketing company. And then previously was in private equity for little, several years in the middle market. So I spent most of my career middle market uh, investing
0: and in acquisitions. That's great. Well, thanks for being here. And I know Bill's got stuff going on, so appreciate you making the time. Maybe because he told you to you had to come, but we're, we're glad you're here. Uh, and then Kelsey, this is my second time to be on a podcast with you, but this is the first time for you on this one. I think our audience would love to hear your background and, and what you do now.
1: Thank you for the uh, returning invite on the uh, the other show. So my name Kelsey Larrick. I'm a co-founder and serve as the CEO of 365 Holdings. Uh, we uh, want to be elements brands when we grow up. Um... We're friendly uh, from the competitors in the e uh kind of roll-up space. I think for as many similarities as there probably are between uh, our two businesses, there's probably also uh, a lot of differences. Uh, I've had the pleasure of knowing uh, both Bill and John over the years, and kind of comparing notes on things. I like to say that uh, Bill is probably a couple of years ahead of me, and frankly influenced a number of things and kind of our growth. So it's fun to uh, be able to participate in uh, these conversations uh, today with John.
0: It's great, and I mean. When Bill tells me about his business at Elements Brands, like they specialize in, I think he used the phrase lotions and potions. Um, so consumable that way. But a lot of the brands you're in are, are different stuff, right? I remember there's some a survivalist brands and some other stuff, pet, pet-oriented yep. things. So was, that's one of the differentiators there, I guess, between the two. Super cool. Okay. Well, good news as I told you guys, part of our goal with this podcast is to get to a point where we're not losing money doing it. So, one of the things that's helping with that is we have a, our first sponsor ever. Um so now I get to do a live read of that and then we'll get onto the first deal if that works for you guys. Yeah, Cool. All right, so the um the sponsor for this week and is a, a website called Tiny Acquisitions, so it's tinyacquisitions.com. And so uh they have helped me with a script that I now get to read. And the idea that they have is you don't need an idea to start a business anymore. Um, With tinyacquisitions.com, you can now buy proven ideas for less than $5,000 pre-developed and ready to go. All you need to do is do what you do best, promote your business. Tiny Acquisitions is home to thousands of online businesses that sell for under $5,000. With one click, you can buy and have one ready to generate cash in less than 24 hours. And you can go to tinyacquisitions.com right now to acquire a business and start cash flowing today. So that's our sponsor. So I'm pretty excited that uh, they paid us money. So it's a hundred bucks an episode and they're killing it. So very cool. All right. So I have the first deal today. So we'll go ahead and talk about this one and they're both e-commerce deals. So I'll do the first one and then John will do the second one. The first one is called Project Bark. So Project Bark is, is brought to market by, I guess, a broker called SDR Ventures. Uh, they are a diversified pet health and wellness brand. And suggested the company, subject company of Project Bark is a diversified pet health and wellness brand uh, that provides CBD-infused pet supplements, pet care products, and grooming accessories directly to thousands of monthly consumers via several growing e-commerce platforms, as well as through national wholesaler re- relationships and regional distributor channels. The company's durable and consumable pet products are thoughtfully produced from naturally derived sources that are organic, safe, and great for pets in the environment. Driven by a passion for the holistic health of all pets, the company has continued to innovate in the pet wellness sector, as evidenced by its continual release of new products. These releases have been supported by the company's tremendous B2C e-commerce retail and online marketing strategy, resulting in double-digit year-over-year growth. Okay, so these are these are CBD-infused pet supplements? Yes, okay, good. That, yeah. I'm yeah. <laughs> just making sure. Uh, I'm not a CBD person, so I have no idea. Got it. So numbers-wise, last year, trailing 12 months, June 2020, uh, they did $4.7 in revenue, a million in adjusted EBITDA. So EBITDA is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. And then that number is actually adjusted based on some stuff. So maybe they talk here about what makes it adjusted. Uh, Business has been around since 2016. Um, Revenue went from half a million to three quarters of a million to a million and a half And then $3.8 in 2019. Um, And I guess we trailing 12 months, June 2020. So this data is almost a year old in terms of this stuff. So the stuff here lists a number of growth opportunities, growth of brand product lines, adding more retail verticals and international expansion, and that sort of thing. So some stuff that I definitely would be curious about on this, but interested in, in what you guys think about the CBD niche for B2C pet supplements. So
1: John anyway, brought so, this one. Can I just ask a quick question or two? Sure. John, did, did, is this actually a fresh one or did, just has dated uh, sales information? Or did you pull this from the archive and we need to try and travel if, back a year? This,
2: this is one that continues to exist. Let's put <laughs> it that way. Understood. Um, so the first time I got the teaser is uh, I have received many updates from this one over the last like nine months or so. Makes sense. It might make sense just given, so I have a lot of thoughts on the CBD space. I don't know about you, Kelsey, but when I see something like this, particularly in the pet space, it's, it's one where, you know, you look at the growth opportunities and you constantly run into this idea of, is it, is the expansion possible? Like, is there risk around, you know, you know, is CBD allowed in different retail? Is it, is it going to be accepted? And then, what the competition looks like for something like this, right? Like, is there any differentiation?
1: That's the biggest concern I have with something like this. Do you have any insights you can share uh, about the channel mix here?
2: Yeah. So, uh, the vast majority of this business is their .dot com sales. So, Shopify sales. I will say a few things. This business is the grooming accessories line item there on the top. The business actually got started with as a grooming accessories brand Hmm. so think combs and other types of products and then that bump in 2019 is when they really launched the cbd line
1: do you feel like the business is well branded as a cbd business or is the broker trying to position it uh, maybe in a bit more of a faster growing market by attaching the the cbd label and the product mix isn't really representative there exactly
2: I this is a type of business where if it was just selling some of the grooming accessories, I think it would have sold much quicker because they've now commingled a pretty sophisticated and if I memory serves, patented uh, grooming type products, right, with now a fast growing, let's call it sexy CBD line, right. So I think they're trying to get a higher multiple by launching the CBD or just capturing growth. Where now you've got almost two businesses that don't really work together, right? Like, I don't know about you, Michael, but when I think CBD, I don't think grooming products for my dog. Like, they're, they're, they're not really complementary. It's not like a toothbrush and toothpaste. So now you've got almost two businesses and the marketing for that has got to be quite difficult
1: from a brand position standpoint. I've not looked deep at any CBD business. I've always kind of put them in the the too hard pile between the regulatory stuff and um, kind of private labeling price pressure and just kind of all those topics. But um, what is the main use case for pets? Is it around anxiety, uh, high, high activity dogs? Like what is the reason why a pet owner wants a CBD product for their pet?
2: Yeah. So my knowledge, so we have some stuff in the pet space and we've definitely looked at quite a number in the CBD, not not because we're necessarily interested or hot on the space, but more just because it exists and it's good to know about. It seems to be the vast majority of the marketing or the value prop to customers is around, Kelsey, like you said, which is uh, calming the dog or anxiety uh, that type of thing, I don't see it as like a, a use. I haven't seen a compelling use case outside of that. So if you've just got a dog who's happy-go-lucky and you know, running around but has a lot of energy, I don't know if CBD is the right solution versus a separation anxiety or stuff like that. I think the CBD space and just, you know, Kelsey, what you said is the dog use case is really around the anxiety piece. There isn't anything that I would say is outside of that, which again goes back to how often as a dog user are you using this and what's the addressable market, right? Like my dog personally has a ton of anxiety and I've tried CBD and it didn't necessarily work for him. So now you've got even a secondary space where if you're giving CBD to your dog, it generally means your dog has anxiety. So it's a smaller portion of the dog market and then it needs to work for them. And then how often are you using it to have like this replenish rate and a consumable nature to it? Right. And that's not even addressing brand loyalty, price points, all this other type of stuff where what is differentiated about your product versus anyone else's. It just makes
0: it difficult to really create something
2: with lasting value here.
0: Yeah. But on the positive, it seems like CBD in particular, or like, it's kind of got that deter what I call it kind of the detergent factor. And you guys are the B 2 C guys, not me, but it's got that detergent factor where once you get comfortable with tide, like you just stick with tide or that, that cause you know, it's working for your pet. I guess your, your question is, does it actually, does it actually do anything for the pet or not, you know, in order to create that, that return visit from the customer and turn them from transactional to something that's much more of a reoccurring revenue stream for your business. Yeah. I think the, the piece with pet particularly some of the stuff we've found with
2: some of the pet businesses that we've owned is, you know, as an owner, you want to do the best for your dog, right? Like, I don't know if you guys have a dog, but generally speaking for my dog, I I like to, you know, do what's best for him, but it's very hard with a supplement like CBD to know if it's actually helping. And so it's almost like a placebo effect for the owner, right? Like a mental thing, like, oh, this is good for my dog. I'll give it to him. It'll help whether or not today or not he's anxious i might just attribute it to giving him this supplement or not right like it there's no way for your dog to give you this feedback loop of does this work for me it, on a consistent basis it's very hard yeah and so that 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 i think affects loyalty quite a bit too
0: whereas with humans you get the automatic placebo effect because we're hugely exactly. su- susceptible to it exactly you take those gummies and immediately you feel better.
1: Yeah, Whether it's placebo or real, you can at least make the decision yourself, whereas yeah. your dog yeah. usually isn't going to bark back to you if it's uh, helping or not.
0: Right. So really, you know, the big problem here, even beyond the CBD aspects of it, is that they really have two different businesses that are agglomerated into this one thing. And it's, yeah. I see what you're saying. It makes it hard to transact a business like this. I think the other thing when your internet went down, Kelsey and I started to talk about was this teaser is just not very good. Like it's just missing a lot of deal, a lot of aspects of it that are just like, Oh man, like I'd love to know which channels they're actually doing. Like that fundamental question that Kelsey asked, like it's not on here. Like, and it could be a hundred percent Amazon FBA and you have no idea. Yeah. So it's really interesting. It's also something we've started to see as an interesting pattern is the quality of the teasers or the quality of the listings, public listings for these deals, like varies hugely. Like, Mm-hmm. And and we've seen some that are like this, not very good, because there's not enough information to tell you if you're wasting your time or not. And then there's some that are great. And believe it or not, buy biz sell, pretty darn good. Like yeah. who knew? As as reviled as that site is, those are actually pretty good teasers. We learn a lot. And you, you know you're wasting your time signing the NDA or not
1: to go right. look at the deal. So John, I don't I don't right. know about you, but if if this was me and I was interested and I I got the uh got through the sim. I think the first thing I would probably do is just run some cohorts on like one of the acquiring customers on what product through what channel and start to get my arms around whether or not um, the three of us think there's placebo effect or efficacy in the product. I would just start to look for evidence of like product market fit through actual customer loyalty and probably come to my conclusion through the data of repeat purchase rates and customer values and, and try to segment it out. And then, Depending on what that tells me, that would probably shade my desire to transact at all or at least the price I'd be willing to pay for the quality of the business. Yeah,
2: 100%. I think the other piece I would add to that would be, you know, on top of the cohort, the repeat purchase is some factor around AOV. Just because you know we talked about, you mentioned earlier around CBD in particular, and some of this space, it's, it's a price battle constantly. And... I haven't particularly looked at what the CPAs are within this space, but I have They're to imagine high, I'm sure. that, that they've got to be high. So I need my AOV to be quite yeah. high for every order.
0: So uh, hey, guys, here. real fast. Sorry. The, uh, a lot of our listeners are not, uh, are new to the space. So AOV is average order value, right? Yes.
2: So think of like the per cart purchase that you make. And so when you're, you're trying to assess a business, you want to understand how much is my customer spending per transaction, which is their AOV, yeah. uh, because I need to assume that my CPA or cost per acquisition or cost to acquire them through marketing is uh, the AOV f- far enough exceeds that that I can still make money, right? You don't want to be losing money on each sale unless that is the game you want to play, which, if that's the case, go raise some VC money, and you know you can manage your cash burn. Um, but if you want to play in the space that Kelsey and I play, or a lot of the people in the e-commerce space play, you, you need to make money on that first
1: transaction. Making yeah. money on the first transaction is a rapidly shrinking place to play. Feels like <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> so the the other question I have for you about this one is: is this what about this makes it not appealing to the the roll up guys? Um, and is it because it's not? Not, when, not you, am, when you say the, the roll-up
1: th- guys, do you mean the the newsworthy ones like the Thrasios? The, the Thrasio,
0: every, every FBA roll-up that's happened so
1: far. So this isn't an, an FBA, this is not an FBA, FBA predominant brand okay. per what, what, what John said earlier, D2C first, and I mentioned wholesale. As much as those FBA roll-ups, I've heard them talk about diversification into other channels. Uh, I think that is going to be very, very tricky for them to do. And these will go to the bottom of the pile on um, which list of deals they're looking at this week.
2: Yeah. And I will say, it, it, I am not 100% on this, but I do believe CBD is still not an allowed product on Amazon. Ah. So the, you'll see a lot of hemp extract on Amazon. Okay. Uh, but I believe CBD is not technically allowed on Amazon. Um, so you're going to run into that. But also... You've
1: also got no Facebook and I think no Google, yeah. right? So I'd be really curious how they actually grew this, if they were do- yeah. growing it through influencer or through email to the customer base or affiliates or, or how they got that yeah. initial cohort.
2: Yeah. That, that's definitely to your point, a good thing to understand. And I will say uh, Michael on your point also around, you know, the acquirers, when you think of a business like this or anything else that is just heavy regulatory, mm-hmm. like, is it worth the time? Like if you're seeing 10 of these that are the same size, and have a similar growth trajectory, this is gonna go, like Kelsey said, right to the bottom just because of the regulatory risk. Hmm. Or any type of, like, all of a sudden my legal team and my marketing team is gonna to have to jump through 10 additional hoops just to grow this thing. Is it really worth it?
1: Well, and to your point about if you've seen 10 of these, which I have, and I'm sure you have as well, I think I've seen a number of, of Sims that, that kind of look and feel like yeah. this. You wonder how much of it is the zeitgeist of CBD in uh, society's mindset today. And is there going to yep. be a pop in that total addressable market? And then it's going to dry up with substitute products, uh, white labels that are cheap at the grocery store, and there's no real brand value. Like that whole segment might pop and then shrink dramatically in two years. Right.
0: I might argue it already has. Everybody I know that's susceptible to the placebo effect thinks it's fantastic. <laughs> so, huh? And I guess it'll be there until the next, the next placebo effect thing comes along, which I'm sure there'll be one. Yep. Um, very cool. All right. Well, I think we've concluded this teaser is kind of meh and the deal is kind of meh. Any other, any other conclusions on this one? All right. Super good. Well, we'll move on to the second deal if you guys are good with that. And I will, um, I'll pull that up. And John, I think you have the honor of reading this one. So,
2: Okay, perfect. So this is a business called Project Clear. It's uh, brought to market by FTI Capital Advisors. It's a clean beauty brand. Uh, so doing skincare, but also color cosmetics. And I'll touch on that a little bit later. But the business is the current owners have brought together the world-class team. However, the owners have recently chosen to remain primarily focused on another core business that is outside of this. So they're looking to divest Uh, unique pieces about this business. It has it's focused on the Gen Z consumers. uh, So that is the market even younger than the millennials. It's EWG verified, which for those of you at home who don't know, EWG is an environmental working group, a big player in the space just around the efficacy of ingredients. So when something says it's EWG verified, that means it is very all natural, very clean beauty. It's not just a a name that they will use. This is actually something that they have verified. It has had good growth. The unique piece about this business, it has grown and has been started by a social media influencer with 30 plus million followers across both Facebook and Instagram, uh, who is the brand ambassador and basically has launched the line and is the main source of marketing for this brand. So customers are finding out about this brand through this influencer. The business has grown from being started in 2019 uh, generating about 800k to uh, this year, projecting just around 3 million in revenue. Um, you'll notice on the teaser, uh, Michael, if you scroll down a little bit, that <laughs> revenue is mentioned. But Kelsey, is there is there another line item that is not mentioned here?
1: I, I didn't even get to that. I was just—I don't yeah. think I've seen a sim that had more years of projected sales than actual, <laughs> um, at least outside of venture. Um, you got to fit that hockey stick in somehow. Yeah, I see that.
2: But, uh, you know, first takeaway, if you don't see EBITDA or profit mentioned, you can assume the business is not profitable. (laughs) Just a takeaway from a a teaser. Uh, And then on the right here, you see a nice sales mix. So they're they're diversified from sales channel. You've got skincare uh, about a little over 40 percent, color cosmetics around 30. And then you've got sunscreen, face masks and bath and body making up the remaining about 27, 28 percent
1: of the business. Real quick, is face masks the cosmetic or is it the PPE or fashion version of a face covering? Uh,
2: I believe it's the cosmetic side. Okay. So think like the little sheet masks and yep. stuff like that. Um, this brand, uh, to my knowledge, they, are, uh, they do quite well from a channel mix perspective. Uh, they are probably 25% e-commerce, 25% distributor. And other, uh, other marketplaces, so Amazon and a few other skincare distributor websites, and then 50% retail, retail being some larger accounts uh, that are national chains that are new relationships. But that ties into why that hockey stick is growing
0: quite a bit is they assume national distribution across all of those. So the, the thing you're really buying with this one is an undifferentiated brand, for the most part, except for this influencer, who I hope it's Paris Hilton, but I don't think it is. <laughs> no. <laughs> I got too old. I just Did I just age myself?
2: <laughs> I, let's put it this way. When I looked further into this, I had no idea who this person was. <laughs> Absolutely no idea.
0: And yeah, so it, it, it fits the Gen Z demographic, apparently. Yeah, so it's somebody that like plays Minecraft on YouTube all day long or so or I don't know. I don't know. I have seen the numbers for like the Jeffree Star uh like the uh, sure. yeah. that guy on uh, well I guess I think he's out as a male. I don't know. I don't mean to gender shame whoever <laughs> but uh he um uh, he does really well. Like he's got all those collaborations mm-hmm. with folks. But this is evidently not Jeffrey Star. <laughs> so this is somebody in his broader circle, though. I will say
2: some like think of that as an analogous uh, more popular person to who this is. Yeah,
1: so I think that easy. First question here is like, how do we separate the business from the face of the brand? Yep. It, it, was there any discussion of that? Do you have any insight on the follow on there? Are they are they making it the buyer's problem, or do they understand that they have to uh, accommodate that in the valuation and structure?
2: It was. It was a. Piece of the diligence, and it was really around how to retain that individual. I mean, at least how I would approach this, right? Is if you got a brand that is incredibly tied to the founder, right? And you're trying to acquire from them, that in and of itself has a bit of risk because generally speaking, you don't want to change the ethos. You don't want to change how the brand is positioned. And the second, if you, the second you buy a business from a very outspoken and forward facing founder, yeah. you run into Kelsey, like you said, that risk of what happens if they go away mm-hmm. or what happens if they no longer every day start talking about this brand. And when the brand is grown to 30 plus million followers, you know, or run by somebody who has that many followers who's talking about it, if they stop talking about it, does your marketing dry up automatically? Right. and And so the biggest piece of this diligence is really either finding a way to retain them and saying, okay, every week you've got to post this many times about the brand for this long. We might pay you some type of, you know, earn out or retainer based on performance of that. Or if they go away, then you got to really haircut the valuation materially.
0: So do we think this is one that a third party came into this influencer and said, we're going to build a brand around you. And now the third party owner wants out? Or do we think the, the influencer themselves started this brand and is now wanting to transition majority ownership to somebody more professional.
2: Yeah, my understanding is this is very similar to what you'll see with a lot of other celebrity brands whereby you've got an entrepreneur who partners with the celebrity um and now that entrepreneur is looking to move on and the celebrity is sort of just, you know I wouldn't say indifferent but you know they've got a bunch of other things they're doing this isn't, you know
0: Top of mind. Yeah. Given how much nothing they appear to be selling, <laughs> I can see where they want out <laughs> on this one. Yeah. Like, and yeah. they're losing money, best we can tell. That's tough. Like, how do you lose money on skincare at this size? Like they've got negligible customer acquisition, and then these skincare products are like super high margin, right? Like what am what am I missing? Why is this a money loser?
2: Uh, so what you're what you're missing here is the Gen Z consumer. Uh-huh. They're targeting that. Bucket with retail and the price point you're sitting and Kelsey napping his head. If you think about it, go into a Target or I don't want to say Whole Foods, but go into Target, right? Like Gen Z mecca for consumer products, mm-hmm. and look at the types of products that they're buying from a price point perspective. Ten, maybe twelve dollars plus or minus. Your general range is like seven to fifteen dollars. So even add an eighty-plus percent gross margin, which You should be hitting on the skincare space when you're selling retail with buybacks and, you know, or billbacks and all these other types of costs that those retailers have inherently built in. You're not going to make much money. Yeah. So that's the issue is, is that when you're playing in this space in skincare at such a low price point versus everyone else who's already at that space, who's, you know, a hundred times your size and have been around for 50, 60 years. It's a volume play. And without the economies of scale, you're not going to generate much income.
1: So obviously yes. shipping, a, shipping a $12 product is sometimes expensive, but any insight into why they didn't push harder for D2C growth, where you could at least make up, have a different battle to fight, I suppose, where you can be more in control of your future rather than store-foot traffic?
2: So again, my understanding has been that the brand did and just has grown and got several partnerships through you know networking et cetera into retail and is selling based on the growth of that right like they've done both and it looks like they did better on d2c and if you carved out just the retail and looked only at the d2c space it would probably be right around profitable even with the same
1: yeah i'd love to see like contribution margin per channel historical and pro forma and understand yep. what you're actually buying here you're actually buying a CPG retail business or an e-com business or both or, or neither.
2: Yep. And one of the things I mentioned at the top of this is around color cosmetics. And I think, I don't know your guys' opinions on this, but uh, Bill and I, I think share, uh, I'll speak for him just because we've spoken a hundred times about this, but around the color cosmetic space, we are very like hands off in that market. Because if you think about it, uh, we play in the lotions, the potions, the pet products, what have you. So we're in a very adjacent market to us, And we look at a lot of companies that do skincare and some type of color cosmetics. The thing is, is once you're in color cosmetics, you run into the fashion space Mm. more than anything where now you've got, if you think every eyeliner that you have or mascara or what have you, you've now got 30, 40 different colors of all this type of stuff. And you have to prepare and do R and D for what is going to be popular. Right? Like, what colors are going to be popular with the consumers? Place inventory orders based on this. It's not like you're just placing inventory orders for a product that you know will sell. Like, you might place orders for some colors and now all of a sudden it's dead inventory and you've just wasted all of your money. Or you give it to the retailer and they bill you back because they had to trash it because it expired because no one bought it. So it's a very risky play. uh, And you have to be very certain that the inventory you order will sell through.
0: Super interesting, yeah, I mean, and it's this is like another industry where it's like there's aspects of it that if you get in the right kind of two or three characteristics, it's very attractive, but if you yep. end up in the wrong corner of it, you can be really miserable, super fascinating uh,
1: yeah. I have hard pass. yet to-
0: <laughs> hard pass for Kelsey. wait, but part of this, Kelsey, is you get to go hang out with an influencer
1: at their influencer house somewhere I the... Expensive part of LA. Yeah, I'm positive I am not cool enough to do that.
0: <laughs> you mean there's no influencer houses in Ohio? Oh, come on.
1: <laughs> um, no, we're, we're fresh out
0: at the moment. <laughs> uh, so, John, sounds like this, this is a hard pass for you as well. I, is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, this one, and I have yet to see.
2: I've looked at, unfortunately, I have looked at probably 10 businesses that have a very similar to this whether it's an influencer or some celebrity or something like that, almost all of them have yet to be profitable and you're banking on this future profitability growth. And it's just, well, I'm not going to gamble on
0: that. Yeah, totally. Totally hear you. Awesome. Well, cool. All right. Well, at least the teaser was better on this one. We're cool with that, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yay to this broker.
1: When you've got three years of projected revenue and two of actual, is the teaser actually better? But it's a hockey stick.
0: That's nice.
1: hockey It goes the right
0: direction. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that if you're an aspiring business broker, like, man, put a little more effort into some of these teasers. I wish people would just look at it from a buyer's perspective. And I mean, I know why brokers do it. It's because they want to get more inbound interest. So then the Mm -hmm. seller thinks they're doing a good job, but they're just wasting everybody's time by having you know, ridiculous negotiating of too many NDAs and running up legal bills and then having management meetings that just don't make any sense whatsoever. Like it's, um, it's part of my continual challenge with the business broker industry for sure. Do
1: you you negotiate your NDAs, Mike?
0: For bigger deals. Always. Everybody negotiates them. Yeah. Term scope, non, non non-compete, non-poaching that stuff comes in all the time. But for stuff like this,
1: the look I have, and John has neither of us even read them. We just sign them and send them back.
0: Make, make sure you're not pledging your life earnings. You know, it could be an ISA and you have no idea.
1: <laughs> I skim it, but I can't say I've read one recently.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's one of my pet peeves. I think the world needs a standardized NDA, but it, seemingly the lawyers all want to argue about some aspect of it, um, whether it's duration, what happens to the materials after the NDA, after the process ends. Like, do you have to yeah. destroy them? Do you have to give them notice that you destroyed them? You know who who are you going to agree not to poach from the other side's uh, team? How long is how long is that non poaching last? Who is that um, yeah. ge- geography of disputes?
1: This sounds like uh, some life experience that uh, maybe you could share with us.
0: Yeah, that sucks. That's my life experience. <laughs>
1: I don't know what to tell you.
0: <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, lawyer the lawyers seem to love it. You know, for small deals, I'm with you. You just look at it and sign it and they're all pretty standard. But um, when they start to get bigger, people, the lawyers get involved and things get screwed up. It's crazy. Cool. Well, I have one more uh, mention of our sponsor. And then I'd like to thank you both for being here and then give you a chance to tell our audience how they can follow along on your journey or or support you. But again, today's episode is brought to you by tinyacquisitions.com. So it's a website for buying and selling. Uh, small businesses and projects, uh, most under five thousand dollars. So, thanks to them for being our first paid sponsor and getting us closer to the journey of not losing money on this podcast, which is my goal. And yeah, so John, thanks for stepping in. You're awesome today. How, how can people um, follow along on your journey or or what you guys do or anything along those lines? Yeah, so uh, make sure to follow Bill on Twitter and other social medias.
2: He's much more active than I am, uh, and uh, always uh, elements brands. We're constantly looking not only for hiring, but acquisitions within, like we said, the consumable space. So
0: if you know of anyone, uh, please let us know. Yeah, awesome. And Kelsey, same question for you. Thanks again
1: for being here, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, Active on Twitter at Kelsey Larrick, and our website is 365-holdings.com. There's an email opt-in there if you want to follow along with things that we publish or announcements we make or opportunities for hiring M&A, stuff like that. Uh, Opt-in there to uh, keep up with what we're doing Super
0: cool. All right. Well, I will uh, click the stop button and we'll see everybody next week. Thanks a bunch.